Hey there, history fans. And welcome back to the History Explains It All podcast, where we cover a variety of historical topics from the Stone Age to the Modern Age. I'm Lauren. I'm Melissa. And on today's episode, we are covering, or actually recovering. Rediscovering? No, we already knew about it. Just maybe new inform- some new information added in. Pompeii. Why are we doing this again, Melissa? Glutton for punishment? There's that, but it's also because it's our one-year anniversary. We're hitting an official year of being doing this podcast. What? Already? <laughs> yeah, that is, okay. Yeah, yeah. I mean, as of this, as of t- they, the day that we're recording this, it's two days from the full year, yeah. But it'll go out on the 19th. A whole year already. Yeah, and for those of you who are new, we did take down the original Pompeii, so this is the only one you get. (laughs) We weren't happy with the format. We decided to change it up. Hopefully this one sounds a whole lot better. This one will also be in two parts. Yes. Will be uh, uploaded simultaneously, so you have both of them. I won't make you wait a whole week. Oh, darn. I wanted them on suspense. On the edge of their seats. We've got a schedule of episodes coming up. I'm not going to fix that up. That way our Halloween episodes don't go into November. Thank you so much. I think you just gave them a sneak peek. Halloween, stay tuned for it. It's going to be lots of fun. <laughs> Ghostly, gory, and fun. We'll introduce what we're talking about closer to September time. So just hold tight. Hold tight. We promise. It'll be amazing. <laughs> but And... and Lieu of our, our one year, we decided to essentially redo our first episode, make it better, make it longer, make it more informative, a little more organized. <laughs> yeah. I know our earlier episodes were not all that organized, which is why we changed up. <laughs> we had to change the format. We were all over the place. Yep. yep it was yep. kind of fun, but we were, we were definitely all over the place. Yeah. By the way... You can contact us through our contacts. You can contact us <laughs> through our email at historyexplainsall at gmail. You can also contact us through our Facebook and Instagram pages, which is historyexplainsall underscore podcast. And you can visit our Instagram page for our today in history segment. We are adding a new segment in on uh, archae- new archaeological finds, and uh, by this week, I mean the week that we're recording. Not the week that this comes out. So, yes, it'll already have been started on the Instagram page. And don't forget to leave us a review and rate. That's how people find us. Please. And also, it gives us feedback so that we know what you like and don't like. You can also give us feedback via the email or the Instagram or Facebook page. Whatever works best for you. Yeah, we had... Uh, some people send in suggestions for upcoming episodes, but we definitely want to hear from everybody. Anything you think you want us to cover, feel free to let us know. I'm sure we'll cover it. We're always open to new suggestions. It's not like we have a seven-page document full of just ideas. No. Don't tell them that. (laughs) This is a secret. It's not like I have two long lists at home for other products I'm working on. And we're talking like, 150 to 300 ideas on those lists but that's for a whole different thing oh dear lord <laughs> i i don't even want to know it, it, it's just fun research for me 
yeah, you're a weirdo. I got I'm you know I'm I'm just trying to collect stuff for this weird history stuff, and I've got a whole list, and then I've got all just crazy strange people throughout history. So definitely not surprised. That nope, he's... not at all. Something to keep me busy. <laughs> Speaking of busy, shall we start? Yes, please start us off, Melissa. Start us off. Way back in time immemorial, and no, I'm sorry, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Don't torture the listeners. Don't torture the poor guys. All right. <laughs> so the origins. So we're going to do this a little different. Slightly different than the original Pompeii. The first part, which is what we're going to discuss today, is going to cover the history of Pompeii, the city itself, the city layout, and the eruption of Vesuvius and the surrounding cities as well, if we have any information on that. Second part, which will, again air simultaneously will be about the discovery rediscovery of Pompeii and the archaeologists that had significance uh, during the discoveries of Pompeii and Herculaneum. So to start off we were going to cover the origins. So Pompeii is believed to have dated back to 800 BC when the first settlements were settled by a people known as the Oscans, which were a people of central Italy. And they founded five villas in the area and around the Sarnus River. And Pompeii is actually believed in the Oscan language to mean the number five for the five villas that were founded. And it lies in the Campania region of Italy, which is roughly about 14 miles away from Naples and to the south of Rome. So in about 740 BC, you'll see a recurring theme with this. The Greeks entered. And this is when the, the area of Pompeii came into its Hellenistic period, which is its Greek cultural revolution kind of a period. So they adopt a lot of Greek traditions. And then as 600 BC came in, about 100 years after the Greeks kind of took over the city, it merged into one large city. So instead of five different sections or five different villas, it now became one huge city. And about 100 years or so after that, in 524 BC, the Etruscans arrived and settled in the area of Pompeii. The Etruscans were a very early northern Italian tribe. And Pompeii itself became part of what was known as the Etruscan League of Cities. And this lasted until they were destroyed by King Heron I of Syracuse. Syracuse is in Greece. You see where this is going. And 474, and then would remain in Greek hands until the Romans came in. Now, another tribe from the area known as the Samnites also entered the region of Campania in 343, again, about 100 years or so after the uh, King Heron, and they brought their customs and traditions as well. But not too long after the Samnite wars that the Samnites had with the Romans, the Romans defeated the Samnites and then took over the city of Pompeii, and that was in the early 300s. So in 290 BC, Pompeii officially became part of the Roman rule. And for some time, it was just referred to as a municipium. And then it became more of a colony, Venelia Cornelia Pompeianorum. And in 89 BC, that was when it was ruled by a man named Publius Cornelius Silla. And also at the same time, the city was besieged by a man some might recognize as Lucius Cornelius Silla. General Sulla, who was Publius Silla's nephew. 
And an interesting point, which I'll cover a little bit later in my next section, in 59 AD, long, long after, there, there was a very feisty fight at the local amphitheater in Pompeii between the Pompeians and the Nucerans. Or is it Nucerans? I'm going to call them Nucerans. So essentially what it was is that there was a game going on. And this is really significant. Uh, there was a game going on between essentially two rival teams. And whether it's footy or football American, sports can get pretty riotous. And this is no different. Except, it, apparently, the rioting between the two teams was so bad, the Roman Senate had to send in the Praetorian Guards, quell everything, and the emperor banned, I believe it was the emperor, no, Titus wasn't emperor just yet, emperor at the time banned, actually, it was 59 AD, this would have been Claudius, because Nero comes after. I think. Yeah, definitely Claudius because Caligula was already dead. Sorry, the brain went off to a different thing. Anyway, the, the writing was so bad that the emperor decided that any events whatsoever in the whole city of Pompeii, whether it be a theater event, a sports event, any kind of public event was banned in the city for the next 10 years. And we know this because it was actually reported on by the famous Roman historian at the time, Tacitus. So my next section, I'm going to get into the layout of the city. We do have links to some maps. I recommend checking it out because it kind of gets a little complicated. There are a ton of buildings <laughs> in the city of Pompeii. So Pompeii, as you'll note on the map, is very irregular. <laughs> irregular. It's funny shaped. I can't say that for today. And it was actually built on prehistoric lava flow. Now, interesting thing you might be asking is, why would you build a city at the base of a volcano? One of two things. One, they didn't really know what a volcano was. They just thought it was a mountain for the most part because it hadn't erupted for a very, very, very long time. Two, interestingly enough, the foothills of volcanoes also have incredibly rich soil for growing food and plants and such. Think of Hawaii. A lot of, almost every of the every island in the, the area of Hawaii has at least one volcano. But it's incredibly lush and tropical. There's a lot of plants. There's a lot of growing. The soil is incredibly rich. So that makes a little more sense. The city itself is approximately about 163 acres. It's not too big, but it's not super tiny. The main street that runs through Pompeii is Via Stadiana, and it connects to Porto Vesuvio and also Porto Vesuvio, which are the two main ports in Pompeii. Two other main streets in the city that also connect through the main thoroughfares are Via della Bonanza and Via Nola. And within Pompeii, you'll notice that there are kind of three major groups of buildings. There's the forum, the triangular forum, and then the sports arenas, essentially. There's the amphitheater and palestra, and the palestra would be the sports grounds. Those are all off on one area within the city. So the forum itself is located in the southwest area of the city and was typically the religious, economic, and municipal life of the city. Originally, at one point, there was a two-story rectangular building with actually a portico. It was kind of like a meeting place. And to the north of the Forum, 
you actually had Roman temples. Temples were everywhere around Pompeii. But these were particularly important temples because they were to Jupiter, Juno, and Minerva. To the east of the municipal, or, or I guess the central business district is a good way of putting it, or the business district. It's essentially the business district. To the east of the business district was the Makelum, which is the marketplace. So this is where you're going to find a lot of, obviously, vendors and thermopoleons, which are ancient Roman fast food, quote unquote, places you can pick up some snacks. And then on the south side of the forum was the city sanctuary. It was called Lares, and it was built after the earthquake that came in 62 AD, which Lauren will touch on. And also, interesting enough, in this area, there was also a temple to Vespasian, the emperor, uh, which was built later uh, by the time Vesuvius came about. And there was also apparently a really good wool industry in the area. I hadn't thought of that. So the Triangular Forum, which is nearby, is the site of actually one of the oldest temples in all of Pompeii, or at least in the Doric style, and it still stands to this day. There's pictures of it. It's really, really, really pretty. Interesting. So where you have Jupiter, Juno, and Minerva in the regular form, in the triangular form, you have temples to Greek, Egyptian, and Samnite. So you have a temple to Zeus, Isis, and then the Samnite god as well too which is really interesting so there are again just temples everywhere all over the city to the east of the triangular forum are the palestras or the sporting grounds as well as the amphitheater and then actually there was even at one point a covered theater that was used when say it got raining and there there are two things throughout pompeii that you could definitely definitely say pompeii had a ton of buildings and baths a lot of baths and these baths, which are often in the triangular forum, can be categorized into three different types. The stabian, the forum, and the central. And the stabian baths, interestingly enough, actually predate the Roman period. I uh, was not able to find exactly how far back, but still pretty interesting. What's also interesting, and I'll touch on this in a different uh, section on part two, but you can actually trace the history of architecture in Pompeii from the italics to the roman period so the early italian tribes all the way up to rome for the for about 400 years back from the roman period it's really really cool i still love pompeii so many reasons to love pompeii now really quick i want to also talk on people that lived there as well as some of the architecture because as i said this place has a ton of buildings so private homes at pompeii are really huge, but they're also just as fascinating as some most of the public businesses and public houses. So one of the earliest houses in Pompeii that I've actually been able to date dates all the way back to the Samnite area, which was pre-Roman, post-second reign of the Greeks to the 4th and 3rd century BC. The House of the Surgeon is one of the oldest private houses in the city, and this is one of the very, very early houses. It also has one of the best examples of very early atrium designs. So an atrium, they call it a chief room, I guess. An atrium would essentially be like a big lobby or a big hall uh, where you would lead off into other smaller rooms. And that was not exactly an architectural style at the time. So the House of the Surgeon was one of the very first that had these styles there. And a lot of the more 
posh style homes in Pompeii had been dated to between 200 to 80 BC, which is quite a bit of time. And a lot of them do show the late Samnite and Second Revival Hellenistic architecture as well, too. So one of the most expensive and memorable houses in Pompeii, if you've been there, I'm sure that you've gone past this, would be the House of the Fawn, which takes up an entire city block. It has two atriums, four dining rooms, and two large gardens, and at least two or three stories high, if I recall correctly. A lot of the walls are decorated with very early paintings from just the very early sort of Greek Samnite styles of paintings. And it's what's interesting about it is it's made to look like marble. So what it is is painted stucco. Marble, what I guess, was a little too expensive for some of even some of the rich people. So in order to make it look like marble, they added uh, paint in a certain way, kind of like a lot of people are doing marble like marble art where you move the paint around on a canvas and it's got that really cool kind of wavy look. It's also here at the House of the Fawn that one of the coolest things was ever discovered, at least in my opinion, because I'm a big fan. This would be the Alexander the Great Floor Mosaic. And I would say this, most of this was founded, of course, after the discovery of Pompeii. But as the house, of course, was built long after the death of Alexander, it is actually believed that this floor mosaic is a replica of either an earlier floor mosaic or an earlier painting of Alexander that was then transferred to a mosaic itself. But the original has been lost to history. Another house is the House of the Veggie, which is an example of very upper-class merchant kind of a home. But these large, expensive houses were not really so much the norm. Villas are kind of dotted throughout the place, but you had a lot of smaller houses and a lot of smaller shops. There is a site I came across that actually, I'm not sure how you were able to sort of pinpoint this to the exact times, but I found it really interesting. It's just a site on Pompeii, but it gave you almost an hour by hour life of what the daily life for anyone in Pompeii would have been like. And it's going to go as this. So about 4.30 to 5.45 a.m., the residents of the city would get up. Not unlike farmers, they were very diurnal. Yeah, <laughs> look on your face. I know, 4.30 is crazy early to consistently get up. Unless you're a farmer, of course. No, thanks. <laughs> My cat wakes me up at 5 a.m. every night right now, and I don't like it. Uh-huh. The farmers can stay with their 4.30. <laughs> also at this time, although the city did have some running water, mostly with the fountains, not a lot of the houses actually have their own running water, which is why you have public fountains and public baths. So during this time, many people would have to go over to the public fountains to get their water. Now, this was not drink or bathing water. It was kind of more drinking water. It was cooking water. It was gardening water. And if, if you wanted to take a bath, you would go to the public baths. Also around this time that they would have a breakfast, which my site said they usually just had bread, cheese, and any leftovers from the night before. And also that barbers typically open their businesses around sunrise. I thought this was a tad odd. But apparently barbers were a place where people would congregate and chat on their way to work. So I guess it was just a meeting place on the way to work. From 5.45 to 7 a.m., this is when everyone is actually having left and they're on the way to work. And this was for anybody. 
whether you were a farmer, a noble, a merchant, the slave of a noble, everybody was off doing their thing for the day. From 8.15 to 9.30, the whole city would be bustling. Everyone would be out. Everyone would be grabbing stuff at the market. Everyone would be meeting for business. And this is where the forums and the marketplaces specifically would be very busy. And especially with the regular forum, which is where you would talk business. It's where you would talk politics. It's where you would have philosophers and people all about. So between 12 and 1.15, this is when they would take a break or a siesta. And even right, nap time. Sometimes the very, very wealthy would even set up gladiator fights during this time so that people on their, essentially their lunch break could go watch a gladiator game, which, although I did mention were banned for 10 years starting in 59 AD. Interestingly enough, 52 AD, the gladiator games actually came back. Side note on this. So in 64 AD, Nero was emperor at the time and decided to visit Pompeii with his second wife, Poppea, who actually came from Pompeii. <laughs> For goodness sakes, the person's name was Poppea. There's no M. It's more like Poppy. Poppea. That's what I said. Poppea. Yeah. Poppea of Pompeii. But it's really, really similar. I would have guessed Pompeii. Poppea from Pompeii. <laughs> Apparently at the behest of Popeye, who probably grew up watching these gladiator games, talked Nero into reinstating these games for the public amusement. So that's why they came back. Not surprising. Also, when they were there, they visited a couple of the temples, too, which caused a whole bunch of processions and a whole bunch of stuff coming. It was just, you know, the emperor's visiting. Gotta make everything look nice. Big parades. A really crazy emperor. Everybody quick, please him. Please him. Make sure he's not angry. It's not the worst. Certainly not the worst. I wouldn't even say even the craziest. Don't you remember the horrible history skit? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. Even Wait. he's considered the craziest among them. I still think Alagabalas was crazier. Although he's a little more sad. But no one talked about Caracalla, okay? That's a whole nother episode. Anywho, continuing with the day. So from 1.15 to 2.30, this is typically when most people would have their baths. And although there were, the usual would be to go to the thermal baths, some people would also go to the frigidarium, you have the tepidarium, so there's three different baths, warm, cold, and hot. And it was not only a way for people to get clean, even slaves were allowed to go to the local public baths because apparently it was cheap to use, but also another place to go and conduct your business in the noon, if you like. And then lastly, from 3.45 to about 5.30 p.m., this is when usually people finish their businesses for the day, and then they would go have dinner, whether you had dinner in the city, you had dinner at your home or at a party or wherever. And according to my source, after about 5.30 or so is when you usually wanted to make your way home, it being a port city and people coming and going throughout the day, in and out of port, in and out of the city, it just apparently was not a very safe place to be after dark. So according to this website, many people would go home uh, and then go to bed early. But again, if you're getting up at 4.30 in the morning, I suspect you are going to go to bed early. Maybe. Maybe not. Pot it on that long Roman style. 
Alrighty. We're now getting into the rather sad ending of Pompeii. So as Melissa noted earlier, if we take a look at Pompeii's location on the map, it's right at the base of Mount Vesuvius. They're only about five miles away. Really not that far of a distance. I don't know if they thought it was a volcano or if they were just like, oh, it's an inactive volcano, so we'll just settle here. Mm-hmm. Either way, at the end of the day, it became a rather active volcano and destroyed everything in its path. But, however, before Mount Vesuvius erupted, Pompeii and its surrounding cities, including Herculaneum, experienced a different type of natural disaster, one that we experience here in California. Earthquake! Yes, a very horrible and severe earthquake 17 years before Mount Vesuvius erupted in 62 CE did considerable damage to Pompeii and Herculaneum. What this also meant is that neither city had fully recovered from the earthquake by the time that the eruption of Mount Vesuvius came. So they were still trying to get themselves together and recover from that damage. However, the full recovery was never meant to be as on August 24th, 79 CE, Mount Vesuvius decided that she was done with everybody, it seems. <laughs> I shall not have your blasphemy anymore. Eruption for you. <laughs> Basically, it started with volcanic debris that began to rain down upon the city and all of its citizens, and then it moved on to the next day with clouds of ash and gas from the volcano, which began to overwhelm the city, which means you're choking on very hot, very bad gas, and you can't breathe, which means you're dying of asphyxiation. And then came the lava, which of course comes rushing down and begins to actually consume the citizens and the buildings and everything else that's there. And it ended up covering the city in a layer of ash that was between 19 and 23 feet in depth. Wow. It's over four times my height. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's on, that's, that's clearing about two feet, or sorry, two stories of building. Uh, but I think probably most of these buildings were roughly about two stories. Hence, it went under. And quick. And took a very long time to find, which we'll get into later. And when it was destroyed, there's between about ten to 20,000 people that could live in Pompeii at the time. That's how many people it could support. And the people's reaction to the volcano uh, erupting was to flee. However, by the time they actually took that reaction and put it into action, it was too late. I think people kind of thought, oh, it'll pass on day one, and that's when you should be leaving. You should be packing your stuff the moment you see that volcanic debris and go. Don't stick around in the hopes that it's just going to end. Better to be safe than sorry, but that didn't end up happening, and people didn't really start reacting until the second or third day, which means it's it's beyond gone. You're too late to move. And those that did try to flee, of course, headed towards the sea in the hopes of, you know, boarding a ship and leaving that way. And many others took refuge inside their homes in Pompeii. I guess they kind of hoped that it would 
you know, just pass through really quick and be done and they could get back to daily life. And we know about the eruption of Mount Vesuvius through eyewitness testimonials, aka letters that were later discovered written by Pliny the Younger. And they specifically talk about uh, Pliny the Elder, who died during the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. Pliny the Elder basically tried to go and save people and died in Stadia, another surrounding port city of Pompeii. Well, I'm not on mute. Okay, good. <laughs> Sorry. If I remember reading correctly, because I did read Pliny's Natural Histories and there was talk about his death in the books that he did try to mount rescue missions along with his nephew Pliny the Younger and but they were both uh, naturalists so among many other things Pliny was kind of like a da Vinci of sorts Pliny the Elder yes okay. and if I remember correctly so they tried both of them and some other other friends were at a city nearby and took a boat over to Pompeii to mount rescue missions and were actually able to save quite a few of the citizens by ferrying them to a nearby city. I don't remember exactly which one. But also, Pliny being the incredibly curious man that he was, the story I grew up hearing is that he wanted to go check out this volcano and decided to climb Mount Vesuvius to go check it out. Which is actually not what happened. But he did die around the base of Mount Vesuvius. I, I think just mounting the rescue missions, the heat, the not so much the lava flow, but the the gases in the air, the heat from the volcano, all of just the debris that was coming down, he essentially asphyxiated on the beach. But he was not able to be rescued as far as I understand because it, he was just too close to the base of the mountain. We have different sources. <clears throat> my mm -hmm. source my source says that he died in Stabia from the gases. He asphyxiated on the heat and the gases that had reached Stabia, which is not that far southwest of Pompeii. It's it's another port city and I and I would assume that they're kind of sending them to Mycenaeum. That's an assumption. Again, that would be the closest city that I can think of. That would be the safest. Uh, as that's, I also understood that Pliny the Younger did not go on the rescue missions with Pliny the Elder and was in Mycenaeum with his mother. And he was watching, Mycenaeum's only about 15 miles away from Mount Vesuvius, by the way. But it's 15 miles north and you kind of, if you look on the map, it's kind of like a little hook. So you kind of, look across from one city to the other, but there's a whole little like bit of ocean. Kind of. But a needy bitty peninsula on the island. <laughs> so he's in Mycenaeum from my source that says he's in Mycenaeum watching and they Mycenaeum did feel some of the effects of Mount Vesuvius's eruption. They they did see the gas and feel some of the heat and all that other stuff. It didn't reach them as badly, of course, as it did Pompeii and Herculaneum and Stabia and all these other these other two cities that are in the surrounding area. Yes, yeah, so uh, my source says he died in Stabia. <laughs> different different sources report different things, but it's also entirely possible that Pliny the Younger wrote one set of story 
of what happened and then maybe wrote a whole different version of it later on in life when he maybe could the way we remember stories changes too so who knows mind is a complex thing yes we're messed up and that was the destruction of pompeii however after the rediscovery which we will get into later of pompeii uh, another disaster occurred, but this was a man-made disaster, not a natural disaster. Oh, yeah. Excavations were going on in Pompeii until World War One and World War Two, And World War Two, or the war to end all wars, of course, halts all of that. And the Allied forces believed that there was a supply route for the Axis powers that ran through Pompeii, through the archaeological site. And in order to cut off that supply route, they ended up bombing around Pompeii and actually bombed Pompeii itself. And some of its important monuments that Melissa was talking about earlier were actually destroyed in the bom- during the bombing. And they were rebuilt post the war and by the rebuilt i mean with really bad materials (laughs) nowhere near what they were originally built with obviously we cannot literally replicate that and melissa will probably go into it a little bit later but they these buildings that were rebuilt post-world war ii actually you'll notice ended up falling apart i'll cover that in part two yeah we'll get more into more into that stuff in part two but That'll do for part one of this episode of History Explains It All. And we'll see you in part two. Excited, excited. Don't let the lava flow get you. <laughs> At the very least, with the lava flow, you're, you're, you're dead in seconds. So there's not a whole lot of suffering on that end. That's true. We hope to see you in the next episode as we trek through history, too. Explain Explain it all. Bye. Bye.